Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. It's never an easy call with so many problems in the world to know where to direct the money that you donate when you want to help out in this world. But what I can tell you is that when you donate to CAMH, you're saving lives. We know about the opioid crisis. We know about the mental health crisis. They are doing the work. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help us treat addiction and build hope. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to and so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace makes it easy to turn your idea into a unique website. Showcase your work, your blog, publish content, sell products and services of all kinds in just a few clicks. Head to squarespace.com slash CanadaLand for a free trial. And when you are ready to launch, use the offer code CanadaLand. You'll get 10% off of your first purchase of a website or domain. This episode is also brought to you by Sonos. Sonos has the Sonos One smart speaker. They are continually updating this artificial intelligence assistant with new features, services, and skills. You can turn on the lights, adjust the temperature, and more. I haven't done those things yet. You can control your smart home devices with your voice. If you are curious about this, these speakers sound great. You can get a pretty good reduction in price because you listen to this show. 10% off of an order of up to $2,500 worth of smart speakers. Go to Sonos.com. Use the promo code Canada10, Canada10. This is a limited time offer. It can't be combined with anything else. Sonos.com, Canada10. So I simultaneously hold a series of contradictory positions on the same subject. I accept, as fact, that humans are warming the planet by burning fossil fuels 
at a rate that has already and will continue to plague the earth with catastrophic consequences, up to and including, unless something drastic changes, the very real possibility of the extinction of our species. But I also think that it's true that since we're all still continuing to burn fossil fuels every day anyhow, and we in Canada happen to be sitting on a massive reserve of this stuff, it's just kind of inevitable that we're going to build a pipeline to better get it to market. And it's not that I think that we should do that necessarily, but I have accepted that we will. And I think that, I accept that, even though I know that years of work and millions of dollars have been spent on the project of getting me and you to accept that. Not getting us to want a pipeline or, or fight for a pipeline or support a pipeline, but, you know, just like getting the public to accept to accept the tar sands and its development, to not block or oppose it, to regard it as an inevitability that only lunatics and radicals would waste time protesting. And I know that this massive PR project exists because, I mean, I've covered it. I've investigated and revealed aspects of it. Small ones, I suppose. The money that the petroleum industry has funneled into the hands of journalists like Peter Mansbridge and Rex Murphy. The way that the petroleum industry hijacked Canadian Geographic magazine, of all things, turning what looks like a nature magazine into their own propaganda vehicle. I investigated the way that the petroleum industry got their pro-oil sands message included in hundreds of lessons in hundreds of Canadian public schools into curriculum. I know how they have funded climate change deniers and stuffed cash into the pockets of people like Ezra Levant, who routinely attack and try to discredit the enemies of the tar sands. I have mocked the many columns, the many panels, all of the forums, all of the legitimacy that the mainstream media extends to people who carry water for the oil sands, while simultaneously burying stories about environmental impacts and laying off environmental reporters. I know all of this. I know. I know that my shrugging, apathetic acceptance of the oil sands and of pipelines is the exact goal of a propaganda campaign that I myself have played a small role in uncovering. I suspect that this might be the most expensive opinion ever paid for in this country. Getting us to not give a shit about the oil sands may have cost more than getting us to think that Justin Trudeau is cool or that Stephen Harper is warm. And yet, I don't know, it kind of worked on me. This recent standoff between BC and Alberta and many First Nations, I haven't been paying too much attention. I figure it'll just get sorted. There's just too much money at stake for it not to. The whole thing kind of felt like a done deal from the start. Well, Mike D'Souza, the managing editor of the National Observer, and I don't know, he might be Canada's last investigative energy reporter, he is in town here in Toronto because he is nominated for an award from the Canadian Association of Journalists for his work looking into the National Energy Board. Work that includes his investigation of their investigation of him. Mike D'Souza joins me in a moment. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Jonathan Morrissey, Matthew Gale, Irale Daniel Anderson, Kate Curtis, Douglas Sly, Linnell Anderson, Anne Brocklehurst, and Kate Padden. Uh, my name is Kate Padden, and I'm a creative director from LaSalle, Ontario. I support Canada Land because you make knowing what is going on in Canada and the world fun. 
But seriously, I like that. It's all the information you need wrapped up in a quirky little package with a giant Beware of Content sticker. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is also brought to you by FreshBooks. FreshBooks knows how much time they save you. It is a staggering 192 hours a year saved by using their cloud accounting software. How does FreshBooks know how much time they save you? Because FreshBooks is the only cloud accounting software with sophisticated surveillance tools that follow each and every user throughout their entire lives. No, that is not true. They save time because they have tons of of really well-built tools that allow you to use it for more than just your invoicing, just to sort of see what money is coming in, what money is going out. It is built for the small business person, for the entrepreneur, for freelancers. It's simply the best thing of this kind. If you need a thing of this kind, this is the best one. So check it out. Go to freshbooks.com slash CanadaLand. Try it for free for 30 days. When you're ready to become a customer, tell them that Canada Land sent you in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Finally, this episode is brought to you by Squarespace. A dream is just a great idea that doesn't have a website yet. Make it a reality with Squarespace. Squarespace makes it easy to turn your idea into a unique website. Showcase your work, your blog, publish content, sell products, services, whatever. It just takes a few clicks. They have beautiful templates made by world-class designers, and you just put your own information in and make them your own. They have 24-7 award-winning customer support. You're getting a service that makes the website work all the time on any device, and there is nothing to install, patch, or upgrade ever. Go to squarespace.com slash CanadaLand for a free trial. It is actually fun to mess around with their templates and see if one of them works for your idea. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code CanadaLand to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Hey, Mike. How's it going, Jesse? I'm okay. I'm going to read something you wrote here. 
I still remember the day I got the mysterious message. It said that federal public servants had hired a private investigator to find out more about me and my sources. I poured through the information and shook my head in disbelief. Can you tell me what that was about? I got an envelope in the mail at home and... Yeah, it said exactly that. It was a typed out message. The envelope had printed letters, you know, so no no handwriting. There was a photocopy of a message from the top public servant at the National Energy Board or one of the top public servants. There was information in there about how they were investigating for leaks for people who were speaking to the media. And I knew immediately that this was likely mismanagement, management behaving badly, uh, managers who were um, not following the rules and trying to get around them or just not acting appropriately. We all get, I guess, as journalists, brown envelopes from time to time. But this one, this one felt personal because there was an effort to investigate essentially me. Refresh me as to like who the players are here. The National Energy Board, that can sound like an industry association. In fact, this is a federal public organization. This is the watchdog group that's supposed to be keeping the... Keeping pipelines safe. It oversees pipelines and power lines. Yeah. So any safety issue with a pipeline or with a power line, they're in charge of investigating, making sure it's safe and cracking down on problems. They represent the public in this respect. Yep. It's a government organization. It's also a court. They have powers of a court to enforce the law. They have unlimited powers of investigation. So it's a powerful federal organization. And when we think about the petroleum industry and possible risks of pollution and things like that. This is why we have the National Energy Board, among other reasons. A primary part of their responsibility will be looking at the pipelines. So, Uh yeah, looking at whether they're safe, like ensuring that there aren't leaks into water or into land, ruptures if it's a natural gas pipeline or an explosion that could harm people. And, you know, there have been cases of explosions and of leaks, and it's their job to make sure that industry is doing its job and that that doesn't happen. So before I find out why they were investigating you, I want to find out why you were investigating them. There's so little investigative reporting of the energy sector. I would figure that you would be putting under your magnifying glass the actual oil sand companies. Why is the public regulator watchdog the organization that you've been scrutinizing? As you know, Jesse, I've been writing about energy issues for a long time, I guess more than 10 years now. The National Energy Board was one of the organizations I was looking at because of its oversight role. But when I look at federal government organizations, I want to look at exactly how they're managing public money as well. And in the case of the NEB, I guess it was a few years ago, it was 2014, I had just spotted a line item in a in a federal government report explaining that they had moved a few blocks in Calgary and spent, I think it was like $20 million that they had spent just to move their offices. So at the time I was unemployed, I'd just been laid off from Post Media. So I was running a, a blog and I just posted that on my site. After that, there were some people who got in touch with me and said, hey, I saw this. Have you seen this? And, then, you know, they started to point me towards a bunch of unusual contracts yeah. that were issued. And so I started looking and I started to see a pattern there in terms of management about just kind of not always following the rules, the federal rules. You know, there's Treasury Board is is a federal organization that sets rules for how the federal government is supposed to act, how it's supposed to spend money and making sure things are appropriate. There isn't any quid pro quo or conflicts of interest. Sure. And that's what I was looking at. 
if I remember correctly, the last time we spoke, it goes beyond that. And the criticism, suspicion of what's wrong with the National Energy Board is not simply that this is a profligate arm of government or profligate public organization, but that the group that is supposed to be keeping a watch on the petroleum industry is in league with the petroleum industry. Am I characterizing that properly? There are a lot of people who allege that they're cozy with industry. A lot of the political appointments that run the NEB, historically, they have a lot of ties to the energy sector, which part of that you need. You need to have an expertise if you're going to be overseeing a body. But there were concerns raised that they continued to have ties and that the decisions that they were making were slanted as a result. And there were examples of decisions that people would question that we've seen time and again of projects being approved about questions, uh, criticism about whether they've looked at everything, considered all the evidence, particularly scientific evidence. The thing that was interesting was that People from that sector, I would say, and I've lived in Calgary, I've spent time occasionally going to social occasions at the Calgary Petroleum Club. There is an attitude there from industry where if you propose a project, if you want to do something, you're entitled to do it. Uh And the rules are a bit of a nuisance. That kind of culture, like when you talk about management approving contracts, giving perhaps contracts to a friend, spending a lot of money to move a few boxes, a few blocks from one office to the other. All of this fits sort of a pattern that made me as a journalist want to get to the bottom of how is this organization managed? Is it going beyond just the ties to industry? Is it part of a culture? And, you know, the employees at the NEB who had talked to me were saying, yeah, something I got in the mail a few weeks ago was this is one of the most evil organizations I've ever known. Getting, From an employee. Yeah, I'm getting emails, I'm getting brown envelopes, I'm getting uh-huh. uh, all sorts of messages from different people that, yeah, have the same common theme that there is problems at this organization. And I ask them questions about it constantly. I'm trying to get interviews and it's difficult, but I, I get answers, I get responses, but um, it's difficult for to have an in-depth interview and get accountability. And I think that's important. That's, you know, one of the reasons why I pursue this is making sure that people are held accountable and answering for the decisions they make, particularly if they're spending public money. It is difficult. It's a dynamic that's kind of familiar to me, you know, in media, when you've got government oversight, CRTC, where you've got to appoint people who know media, who knows media, former media executives. There's a rational argument to that, I suppose. But at the same time, it becomes difficult to disambiguate is this person merely an expert in media or given that they spent 20 years working for major media organizations and conglomerates and monopolies, do you essentially have regulatory capture where the people who are supposed to be keeping an eye are actually from the same industry, friendly, and might be working back in this industry after they're done with their appointment, separating those things out because the public wants to know, is there bias? That's the big question. Is there bias? It can be really tricky. And it's rare to prove something, especially when it's cultural. It's rare to get a statement from somebody in one of these regulatory bodies saying something about how, I don't know, they want to go tase their opponents. But you found something like that. Basically, what happened was during the protest, it's the most Canadian thing probably ever. One of the protesters who disrupted the hearings was running around the room, grabbed a binder, and then the staffer from the NEB wanted her binder back. So she actually tapped on the protester's uh, shoulder as he was running around and asked for her binder back. And the protester actually stopped running around and then gave the binder back. So 
the public servant told this story to management during a, they had a town hall. And then the top public servant at the NEB said, uh, well, that's interesting, but I would advise you not to approach protesters unless you have a taser in hand. So that didn't necessarily go over well. There were some people that were troubled that uh, the head of the, at least in terms of the public service of the NEB, is making jokes about tasering environmentalists who are legitimately protesting. And so they told me about it. Right. And I started asking questions about it. And then it set off a whole flurry of emails, um, which eventually culminated in them deciding to issue a sole source contract to a private security firm based in Ottawa. Uh-huh. Uh, and they were hired with, you know, uh, $24,000 of your money, Jesse, and my money to find out who were those people who spoke to me? A lot of organizations are guilty of mismanagement, single source contracts, stuff like that. But that's not really why this particular organization is so relevant and I think needs the scrutiny that you're providing. Um, and I think that to understand why the National Energy Board is so relevant and we should know more about them than we do and more people should know what you've revealed about them goes back to the last federal campaign. And if I remember correctly, Justin Trudeau, when he ran for prime minister, made environmentalism a very big part of his brand, more of his brand than perhaps of his platform. But he was the environmental candidate. And when it came to pipelines specifically, his line was he would ask. He wasn't pushing for a pipeline. He said, there's a process. We're going to ask the stakeholders. There's a nation to nation process with First Nations. It's not for me as a candidate to go into office saying, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to be the, the sensitive guy who asks. And if you make me prime minister, uh, we will have a genuine and good faith process. And that will determine what we do when it comes to pipelines. Was he lying? You know, there was this tagline throughout the election campaign or a clip that I think rang through everyone's ears. Governments grant permits, communities grant permission. And he did, in fact, say that there would be a new process, a new review for the issue we're talking about right now in, in BC and Alberta, uh, the Trans Mountain Expansion Project. He did make a lot of statements that called into question the credibility of the whole process of the National Energy Board itself. Uh, he did say that the federal rules, the laws changed by the Harper government were slanting the playing field, were making that government into a cheerleader for industry, and that he did say that there would be a new review. When they came into office, they got lobbied and pressured. They got warnings from public servants, the mm -hmm. same public servants who were high up in the Harper government, uh, warning them that if you do redo the whole process, the company might walk away. The company might cancel the project if mm -hmm. you have to restart that review and extend the timelines. And I think that there was a genuine fear. So I would say that the government changed its policy. Uh, they adjusted. They tried to fulfill the spirit of the promise, but it wasn't exactly what he had promised. I think that your own headlines put a bit of a finer point on it, Mike. Uh, you have a story headlined, government insiders say Trans Mountain Pipeline approval was rigged. They said that. <laughs> what you describe is a process by which Trudeau is criticizing the Harper government 
for pretending to have a process, for rubber stamping a process, for not actually asking anyone's permission. And let's say he wasn't lying. Let's say he intended to actually have that process. But as power does, uh, when the realities of the politics of the situation uh, show themselves, what we get is another rubber stamping process. This is not something that I want your opinion on. I mean, maybe we'll get there. But I want your, to know what your reporting revealed, because the reason why you have sources within the National Energy Board and the reason why, at long last, your reporting has permeated the mainstream culture and this morning the Globe and Mail picked up on what you have been revealing is that there's substantiation to that idea, right? The process was changed to a certain extent. There were additional consultations. There was an added layer that the Trudeau government brought in. They've cited all these numbers about, you know, thousands of people submitting comments. Uh, They had, you know, a special panel go around the country to review the NEB's work. I think it might have added four or five months to the process that it otherwise would have been under the Harper government. The problem is... With all those consultations they did, were they genuine? Were they meaningful? Were they sincere? Were they actually listening to people and considering possibilities to make the project better? Or had they made up their mind and decided we're going to do this, we'll just make it look like we're consulting, but we won't use any of the comments that people have given us? The public servants I've spoken to say that they took comments from people, but they didn't actually listen to what they said and try to adjust, and that they had made up their mind before doing any of this. You know, the tools to find out whether or not it was a fait accompli, whether or not it was a rigged process, it's all written in the negative space. Do they have any plans for the process, the consultation to go the other way? No. The public servants I spoke to said that they were instructed, just find a way to approve it. They weren't asked to provide any options for saying no. They weren't asked to study alternatives. Like there were different ways that some of the First Nations wanted to be accommodated on this project and different ideas that they had proposed that could have made the project better. By listening to them, by meaningfully consulting with them, Perhaps by extending the process by a few months, there could have been a way to make this project better. But they were, in fact, some of them say discouraged and and, and told, no, your job is not to do that. Your job is to find a way to get this done. So, And you were able to document that? I've seen one document, internal document to that effect, yes. I mean, that, and, that's and, kind and, of the smoking <laughs> gun, isn't it? Isn't that, isn't that the process is illegitimate? I mean, if that's the case. And, and, and there have been people, you know, there's several people who were in one of the meetings that have confirmed that. Uh-huh. You know, this is a matter that's before the courts right now. And I think, you know, there's a federal court of appeal is reviewing based on a challenge from several of the First Nations whether the federal government met its duty to consult, which is a requirement under the Constitution, under Canadian law. Your sources at the NEB, would you characterize them as whistleblowers? Yeah. Yeah, they're whistleblowers. Yeah. I mean, what you're saying is pretty extraordinary. There are few issues in this country of more financial consequence or, or environmental consequence or of more consequence to this process of reconciliation, such as it is than this pipeline project. I mean, this is a dominant story in the news. And it's not just that you've poked some holes at the legitimacy of the National Energy Board. It's actually validated by these proceedings in the court. To what do you attribute the deafening silence? I mean, I was very surprised to read a mention of the National Observer and its reporting in the Globe and Mail today. Should this be a scandal? It kind of feels like maybe it should be 
scandal? I think it's significant. I mean, I can see from the readers who are engaging with this story that they think it's significant. It's a big issue in BC right now. I mean, uh, when I talked to um, talked to our editor in chief, Linda Solomon Witt, earlier this week, and she was she was saying, you know, wherever she goes, she hears people talking about it. She said someone approached her who she didn't know at a restaurant last week and said, "Hey, are you Linda? Um, I've read your reporting on this." So I think in Vancouver, it's a big issue. What happens next? I mean. The court has to decide whether it's going to accept new evidence. We don't know that. If it does, it could force the government to uncensor, like some of the documents I've posted have been censored Mm -hmm. because they've been released under access to information. Some of the documents I didn't post because they're not uh, released through access to information, and I don't want to put those out there if they haven't been uh, released through access to information. Because you put your sources at risk or because you're trying to protect proprietary information for their sake? Uh, uh, I just feel like generally I've just always had a a policy of only posting documents that are released through access to information. I haven't ever posted anything else. So that's just been my personal policy for a number of years. Like I've done some access to information requests for meeting notes from a couple of departments that haven't answered yet. There is a key meeting here where the instructions were given, find a way to approve this pipeline. And so one department has released notes. A bunch have said they don't, but two have not yet. Like they've asked for these lengthy extensions in response to the access to information request. So as part of the motion this week is asking or trying to get the court to compel the government to release these handwritten notes, which I believe that will have a smoking gun once it's released. And so the court has enormous power here. To what? To, to uh, certainly smack the National Energy Board? Is, is no, this isn't. A, this would be the federal government because the National Energy Board makes recommendations. Uh-huh. Like under when the Harper government changed the rules before 2012, the NEB could make the decision to approve or not approve. And now it's cabinet that takes the NEB's recommendations and decides. So cabinet made a decision, but cabinet still has to meet that legal duty to consult indigenous people. So this would affect directly that. That. So that essentially could the pipeline could be blocked by overturn the, the approval which doesn't mean it kills the pipeline it just means that the government has to go back to the negotiating table and consult with first nations so that could kill the pipeline in the sense that if the company doesn't want more delays it's going to cause more delays but I mean, that's the law of the land is the government needs to consult First Nations if they want to make decisions that affect their land, their territory, their rights. So returning to the apathy that I expressed, I followed Standing Rock and it was like there was this moment like, wow, that's probably as good a popular protest movement as we're going to get. And that's probably about as much mainstream news coverage as we're going to get. And there was a moment where Obama stayed what was happening and there was a victory was proclaimed and then they went ahead with it and they approved it. Isn't that the end of this story that they're going to approve a pipeline? I think there's a possibility that a pipeline to the West Coast or a new pipeline to the West Coast is going to be built. Whether it's this one, I don't know. I mean, the government is doing some ongoing work. They are, I mean, they're doing it after the fact and they probably should have done it before I think there's ministers in government that are genuine and attempting to accommodate, like the natural resources minister, Jim Carr has, you know, he's developed personal relationships with the First Nations, you know, particularly the Tsleil-Waututh in this case that is on the front lines battling against this. So there would have to be significant accommodation and changes um, that need to be done, which, you know, if you want projects to go ahead, um, if you're following the rules, if you want to make them safe, there is a way to do these kinds of projects. 
In this case, certainly there are concerns about tankers. There's concerns about spills. There's concerns about endangered uh, the the orcas. I there's mean, a lot the of issues. Concer- I mean, the people and there's who, concerns about the people climate who change. are not apathetic about this, and there are many of them who will feel underserved by my comments. They're not concerned about whether the I's were dotted and the T's were crossed and whether this was done properly. I think that they're concerned that this should be blocked, that it should not happen for a lot of different reasons. There's strong opinions, I think, on all sides. You know, there's a court ruling that's cited in the motion that was just introduced by the lawyers for the Tsleil-Waututh about if you want to approve a project, better to do it right the first time because no one benefits from extended litigation, whether it's the proponent whether it's the indigenous people, the non-indigenous people. I don't know if I'm getting at what you're asking, though, about the apathy. or, or I guess I wonder if it... <laughs> you feel like you're, you're, you're My, pushing well, a boulder up a hill. And, uh... You know, the work that we did on Energy East, um, you know, we exposed the conflict of interest there that shut down the hearings, that caused recusals, and then ultimately the company walked away. There's questions about whether long-term these projects make economic sense. Like maybe in 10 years, the next 10 years they do. Will we need this pipeline in the same way 30 years down the road? And investors might start to pull out, might start to redirect their energy and their finances elsewhere. And, you know, that can happen. I mean, there's certainly not apathy about this issue in, in Alberta. I mean, we we get tons of messages. Um, because some people have not, a, feel that they have a personal like, financial interest in the pipeline. I mean, th- those people are not apathetic. Yeah, and it, it's important. Um, I mean, there are many jobs that depend yeah. on the lifestyle that we have as Canadians. You know, there's a significant part of it that's due to the oil and gas industry in Alberta. It's important to get it right, I think, for all of us. You know, in terms of the reaction that we got last week, you know, not all of it was pleasant. And, you know, certainly this issue of the people who are concerned about jobs in Alberta, I'm I'm sensitive to. And it's unfortunate that in this climate that we have, journalists are becoming targets. And so we got a pointed threat directed uh, to me specifically. Um, Can you tell me about that? So... We had seen on Saturday that there was someone who was uh, posting abusive comments on our Facebook page, like in response to a number of the stories that that we had done specifically on Kinder Morgan. And, you know, usually when I see this sort of thing or if someone on our team sees this, you know, our, our instinct is to immediately, you know, delete those comments blocked. If they're posting abusive messages, if they're going after other uh, people commenting and, and, and basically if they're a troll. So we blocked them immediately after um, I got a, a personal message that wasn't polite and, you know, ended off with the tagline, see you soon. And then our editor in chief also got a personal message on Facebook from this person who clearly had a fake account. I've gotten criticism and I've gotten negative comments, but this was the first time someone had actually put our office address in the message uh-huh. and my name. So See you soon, and I know where you are. So it was serious enough that, you know, we called the police, and, and there's a file open, and it's unfortunate that that kind of thing happens. I'm, I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing. I worry about the people I work with. I'm making choices for them by pursuing the stories that I'm doing. I don't want to put them at risk, but I'm concerned about this perception of journalists and this knee-jerk reaction when we are doing our jobs. We're doing this as a public service. I'm not doing it for the money. (laughs) So I hope that when people look at the work we're doing, they can appreciate. There is a lot of hard work going into this that we put in a lot of due diligence. 
we work hard every day. I mean, we can't deploy investigative journalism like a SWAT team in an emergency. It has to be stuff that is done over the long term, carefully, with patience, dedication, persistence. And I would just hope the public uh, can appreciate that. And I want to let the public know that I work for them. I guess I want to ask you in the time I have with you today to kind of step back from this and, and just reflect on a possible failure or weakness in the way we tell stories as journalists to find a way to turn into news stories the larger narrative of this sort of hurtling path that we seem to be inescapably on when it comes to climate change. This has been a challenge that since I first set foot in a newsroom, making environmental stories, stories about climate change into good news stories has just been a vexing and I think unsolved issue. We can tell a story about corrupt government or a process that goes wrong or or a waste of taxpayers' money. But the real story here is that we may be dooming ourselves and, and, and incapable of reversing that for something that I think is one of the biggest stories in Canada. Why isn't this a bigger story and what can we do about that? We are trying. And, you know, there's a number of outlets um, out there that try to push the boundaries of what we do. Uh, Canada Land does it, uh, you know, in terms of how how we look at the media. And that's important work. And we are trying to do more partnerships. We've been doing this price of oil. I do remember that you commented on it a few months ago, the price of oil series that we've been doing with uh, with Global News and the Toronto Star. What did I say? <laughs> I think you had Jen Gerson on and uh, we're saying that we built up this big, exciting package yes. that this was an unprecedented and which it was. And it, the fact is, it's, it's an ongoing partnership. We've engaged with larger media outlets and they've engaged. With I remember us now it was, to, you, you yeah. hyped it and it was, presti- <laughs> yeah. it was presented as a very b- yeah. big prestige thing. <laughs> and I was like, all right, where's the and I, I couldn't find the thing. So, you know, look at this week. We looked at refineries this week and we actually mapped out the numbers thanks to the fantastic work by Carolyn. Jarvis at Global News, really digging into comparing Canadian refineries to U.S. refineries, showing that we're producing much less oil. We have much fewer refineries, but our pollution is actually much larger. Mm-hmm. By doing partnerships, we can do more stories. We're trying to do more stories at National Observer about clean energy. And we're a partner in Climate Desk, which is a coalition of different news outlets. We share our stories. You know, The Guardian is in there, Mother Jones, HuffPost, um, and a number of other where we just share our content, the stories we do, we give to them and vice versa. Yeah. And that helps expand the coverage so that we're all working together and bringing out these stories and a lot of good news stories, a lot of stories about the promising technologies, the emerging industries, the jobs that are being created, particularly now when you have this growing feeling in North America that they're suffering, perhaps a lot of people losing jobs, losing hope, telling stories about what the hope is, what the opportunities are, helps empower people to then push their governments to do the right thing. And so that's our job. And I'm going to keep doing it. Mike, thank you. Thanks very much, Jesse. That is your Canada Land episode. Email me about it at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything you send me. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. Our website where we publish our own original journalism all the time is canadalandshow.com. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. 
There is a new episode of Commons, our flagship political show. It's coming out this Tuesday. Check it out. There is a great new episode of The Imposter waiting for you if you want to check that out. It came out just last week. This episode of Canada Land is produced by TK Matunda. The associate producer is Ellen Payne-Smith, and our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Canada Land is syndicated to campus and community radio stations across this country by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. And if you like what we do, please support us. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.